So for me as a parent, I had to really learn to understand how my kids learn. I've got two kids who learn very differently. And I, you know, for one of them, she just, she needs, she, her brain works differently. She processes information differently. So she needs help in a very different way. I had to get out of my own way. Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Success Podcast. I'm Phil Weaver, and today we have Kathy Taberner and Kirsten Siggins. Kathy and Kirsten are a mother and daughter communication skills team, which is practically unheard of in the communication world, and that <laughs> fact may speak to their success in what they do. They have, it, they have made it their business to get to the heart of the matter, effective communication skills training for work and home. At home, conversations impact family relationships and child development. So they have identified it and created specific communication skills to keep you calm and connected in every conversation, even in emotional and, ch and challenging situations. Together, they co-authored The Power of Curiosity, How to Have Real Conversations that Create Collaboration, Innovation, and Understanding, and co-founded the Institute of Curiosity, where they offer training in effective communication skills for work and home. And today, we're going to speak about how a parent's emotions affect their children and how you can use communication skills to develop a better relationship with your child and get what you want, as well as your child getting what they truly want. So uh, welcome, Kathy and Kirsten. Hello. Thank you, Bill. Hi, thanks for having us. So let's um, first just generalize. I know that uh, curiosity is a big foundation of everything you do. So let's just get, um, can we get a general overview of why uh, curiosity is so important? We'll dive deeper in later, but just kind of a general. Go ahead, Mom. Okay. Uh, for us, curiosity, it, it came out of, um, a belief that we tend to be focused on ourselves and that really what we need to be doing is if we're going to really see here and understand others, we need to understand them. And the best way to do that is to be open and not judging towards them. So, and that's what speaks to us about curiosity where uh, we believe curiosity is being present, um, listening in an open, non-judging way to really understand others and asking those great open questions that help us dig deeper and better understand. I see. Okay, very good. Um, and so, in general, it's it's a strong. Uh, it strongly affects all of our conversations and communication. Absolutely. It's. Um, I just. I, it, it gives us such a, a much deeper connection, and it helps us to really understand where others are at. I think for a long time in our society, we had a belief that we all had the same perspective, and whatever my perspective was, both of you had the same perspective. And the reality is, we each have our own unique perspectives. And if we don't begin to understand those of others, we're not going to be able to connect with them in a way that will support them. And with kids, for instance, if we don't really begin to understand our kids, they, 
their upbringing, their, their time in life is very different than ours was when we were the same age. And so we can no longer assume that what I did at 10 or what Kirsten did at 10 is what 10 year olds are doing now. Don't begin to become curious with them and open and understand them. How can we keep them safe? Right. That what you said there, that's very interesting insight that we kind of assume if you uh, clarify this, is that we kind of assume that what is in our mind is also in others' minds. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's insightful very much so. Okay. Um, all right. So, so the opposite of that, opposite of curiosity would, would that then, or what stifles communication would then be reactivity is trying to, and, and is that correct? And trying to just push out what we're, what we want rather than bringing, trying to figure out what they want. Do you want to answer that Chris? Well, I was going to say, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned in the work that we've done for me, we do workshops and we ask people in the room, how many of you believe you're curious? Almost the entire room will put their hand up, right? We read books. We want to know what's in a box where we read, you know, things online. We have passions, but what we've learned is where people are not curious is in their conversations. And a lot of the reason is that we just don't, we're not taught that way. And we don't think to be curious in conversation because for a lot of us, we've just taught to be right or to get our, our opinion across or, you know, whatever it may be and how we choose to communicate. So when we get stuck in a place, we tell and we judge and we blame and we shame and we get stuck in that I'm right, you're wrong headspace, all without even realizing it. And all of that leads to conflict. And that's when we react, right? And a lot of those times, those are those conversations where we're shooting from the hip or we may be gossiping with a girlfriend or we're so overwhelmed because, you know, as parents, there's so many things that are going on in our day and we're overwhelmed and we're at work and we're working hard and then we get home and we just have nothing left, right? We're just flat out, nothing left. And then we have to deal with whatever's happening at home. And so we just don't have the space. We're not in a headspace to be curious. And so we're reacting to everything, not necessarily because we're not liking what we're hearing or you know it may not be anything that our kids doing it's just we're not in that headspace we're not in that bandwidth we're in survival mode essentially and a lot of our conversations come from that place of reaction whereas when you can switch to that place of curiosity where you're open and you're non-judging and you are able to turn those little inner voices down in our head so that we can be present and listen to understand what's going on and take the focus off of self so that we can understand other, it really changes how we show up in the world. It changes how we have our conversations with our kids. It changes how we have our conversations with those around us. And it really allows us to build those relationships that we want and crave. And so that little bit of curiosity, just wanting to see here and understand somebody, my daughter in the background there, um, just wanting to be curious to better understand somebody is so important because we all want to be seen, heard, and understood. But the challenge is we're not taught how, right? We just, we know how to react, but we don't know how to do it any other way. And that's what becomes so paralyzing for people. I see. So this um, it sounds a lot like mindfulness. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, so how does, you say that 90% of conversations actually miss a mark. Is that saying that we are um, kind of walking around really 90% in our own world and not, and if we're not communicating 90% of the time that we're just completely inside of our, ourselves and not, uh, that it, can you speak to that? 
Well, I mean, this is a statistic that came out of Stanford, and I used it in my TEDx talk. And I think when I yeah. first heard it, it was Judith Blazier who was who said it in a webinar that I was listening to, and she was doing lots of research around um, conversational intelligence. And it was a, stat a statistic that she used. And then I since I looked it up, and it, Stanford said nine out of ten conversations missed the mark. Now I couldn't read the entire. I don't know what the context of it was, but from my perspective how I see it based on the work that we've done. And mom, I'd love for you to give your perspective after, but for, I agree with you, people are not present, right? We're not present. We think that everybody's thinking the same thing. We think common sense is common sense. You know, in families, we think our families have the same values, but the truth is, is we all have our own unique perspective. We all have our own unique experiences. Even the three of us will walk away today with very different perspectives and very different experiences, even though we've had a shared experience. And so we can't assume that we are all experiencing or knowing the same thing. And I, that's where conversations become amiss when we make those assumptions or we're not open to listening to different perspectives. It doesn't mean we have to like them or agree with them. It just means that we're open to listening to learn them. And I feel like we live in a time right now that's so polarized that we're not taking that time to understand people. We'd rather be right or we'd rather positional or we think you know it's very right or wrong and we're not taking or we believe that you know a perspective is is better than another perspective it's taking that time to really understand what's going on for other people i what what about you mom for the 90 percent missed the mark yeah i agree with you i and i think that we we live in our own perspective we believe that what i have seen what i think what i speak is right it's my truth, therefore it is the truth. And it's not, you know, everyone has their own truth. Everyone has their own perspective. I mean, the classic case is if you ask 10 people after a motor vehicle accident, what happened? You'll get 10 different stories because mm -hmm. the truth is different for each one of us. And so um, when I'm stuck in my own, you know, this is the way it is and Kirsten sees it differently, unless we begin to understand each other, it's, it's we're, we're going to be at cross purposes and that causes a disconnection and, and that's 90% of the times we just don't understand what the other person's thinking. Right, right. I know you mentioned the, um, the motorcycle accident thing. We, our mind, and I mean, it's shown our mind, it's very obvious that our mind fills in a lot of things that we don't understand what we see, especially yeah. when, thing, when things have, um, are, happen quickly. So that would be, I think, a fair assumption to say that we do the same auditorily as well right and that's what you're saying so go ahead no i was just going to say i mean we talk a lot about that around conflict where uh, the the little voice in our head the stories we tell ourselves play such a huge role in the assumptions we make or what we think is our perceived reality just as you're saying so we all have that little voice in our head and it can be our greatest cheerleader it can be our worst critic and often you know those stories we tell us are are made up they're not based on anything that's true and so when you get into a conflictual situation something that you know is emotional the feelings we feel are very real we can be stressed out or we can have fear or we can have frustration whatever it may be but the stories we're telling ourselves about those feelings are made up and so it's getting curious to better understand where their stories are coming from so that you can change the stories and you change the feeling. And it's very much the same thing. Like we just listen to that little voice in our head until we convince ourselves it's true without ever challenging those stories to dig deeper to understand what's underneath it. And a lot of conflict is because of that. Right, that's where filtering everything through the stories. 
Yeah, you mentioned what we're uh, in fight or flight a lot of the time. And I agree with you that most people walk around in that parasympathetic state. Um, and of course that takes us out of our prefrontal cortex and into our reactive mind where we just uh, do what, what has already been implanted into that subconscious. So, um, so which is why I mentioned that the, the mindfulness. So it, it, it seems to me that what you're saying is the first step is being present or being not non-reactive and just simply there. And that, that has a lot to do with what your body is doing, correct? And that's, um, it also includes staying, being focused, um, being open, um, stop multitasking, uh, right. paraphrasing, you know, to, to make sure that what you've heard someone say is what they're saying. So saying it back in your own words, all of these things and stopping the gremlins in our head, the storytellers, because all of those things interfere with us being in the moment. You know, if you're in this conversation, if I was thinking, okay, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? I've got to go out. I'm doing da 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 da. I'm not really listening to you or to Kirsten or whatever. And then I'm not really understanding what you're saying. And mm -hmm. I'm going to miss that. And that's into that 90%. So, and, and it's not respectful either. I mean, I can tell when someone's listening to me and when they're not. And I think Kirsten probably, you know, you would agree with me on that. And there are lots of conversations I'm in. I think I could say anything right now because this person is not paying attention. Right. For whatever reason. And I think parents and kids get into that situation a lot. Mm-hmm. I see. So it sounds like, uh, so there's a definite skill set that which is would be... Um, a cognitive skill set in, in addition, because the, the first thing you said was focus, but if we're in that reactive flight, fight or flight, that's, not, that's never gonna happen. No. Correct. And then on top of that, you're saying there's an additional skill set to build. Well, and also if we're, the fundamentals of being open and non-judging, if we're not in that place, we will continue to judge in our head whatever the person's saying, no, that's not right. How could they say that? You know, <laughs> and that's not helping us to understand them. Right. Right. Should we judge? We're not taught. It's important to remember. I think we all have to give ourselves a little bit of, of a break um, because we're not taught to be present. I worked with teens in LA. I used to live in LA and uh, through LA children's hospital. And I would ask them every time, like, what does it feel like to be present? And none of them could tell me what that feeling felt like. Yeah. And, it, you know, if we don't know how it, what it feels like to be present, we can never access that feeling. So a lot of the times we're told to do something, we're told to listen, we're told to calm down, we're told to be in the moment, but we're never taught what that's actually like. And if we don't know what that feels like, then we can't access it. So it's, it's, it's hard because these basic skills like being present and active listening and choosing how you process information, they're skills that we are expected to know but we're never taught. And there's an assumption that we all do them well. And you're right, it is a skill set that we do have to learn. We just have to sort of peel back the onion and go back to, okay, when am I being present in my life? When is my mind full or when am I mindful, right? Am I anxious on the past and worried about the future? Then I know I'm not living in the present and that's where we miss everything. So it's just sort of taking that deep breath and slowing down when you're having conversations with people and giving them that time so that we can be and we stop doing because we're so focused on doing nowadays. It's silly. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much. Um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I've got 25 years of teaching Kung Fu. So the, the concept of, of just being and presence and, and all that, this is, uh, this is resonating quite well. I mean, it, it, I may translate it into a different way, but it's, it's certainly the same talk there. Uh, wait, I just lost your, oh, there we are. Okay, uh, so let's talk about how these two things parallel each other in the work environment and in the, and the maybe not two, the um, communication and all of this parallels in the work environment and in the home environment with kids. So how does it affect your job? How does it affect you with your kids? Are they, are they the same? Do you want to go? go for it. You start. Oh, um, I think at home, it is it's the same thing, but it, it impacts slightly differently. So the story that I like to tell around the home situation is that when I was 10 years old or 12 years old, I did things a certain way. When Kirsten was the same age, her life wasn't that much different than mine. And I could understand what she, what she was doing, what her thoughts were to some extent. And, and I think in the past, that's been the way. But kids now at 12, their lives are totally different because of the internet, because of social media, because of so many things that have changed in their lives compared to what they were like for Kirsten's generation who are now the parents. And so if parents don't become curious and they don't ask their kids what's going on for them and they assume that things are the same as they were when they were that age, they're not gonna be able to keep their kids safe. They're not going to understand what's going on, how they can support them, so that they're they try, they they have the best chance of keeping their kids safe. I mean, their kids may still be safe, but they may not be because their their parents aren't understanding where things are at. And unless we start asking our kids and better understanding their experience of of, of the internet, of the, of social media, I mean, there are lots of mean things that go on in social media. Yeah, they were similar for 12 year olds in, you know, in past generations, but now it's amplified because of social media. And so kids have to struggle with a lot more. And if their parents aren't tuned in and finding out what's going on for them and how they can help, those kids are gonna struggle just that much more. So you're saying the parent, parents don't even understand their, their world. No. And so if they don't start sharing and or asking those those questions that not in a judging way i mean kids are so good at understanding when they're being judged and and we it's not about judging you've got to be open and non-judging just really wanting to find out what's going on for them so that you can have that better connection and can support them in a way that's going to help them be safe in the workplace um there are lots of things i mean it, it, leaders who um, are open and curious are more supportive of their employees. They help them to um, reach their potential, um, nurture them to, or help them to um, create great ideas because they, they support them in taking the risk. They're okay with, with employees making mistakes because they know that creates learning moments. Um, it's a fundamental in the workplace and, and even Things like um, in transfer of work, you know, if work's being delegated, if both people don't understand what, what's expected in that work, then there's a good chance it's going to come back and not be what the person expected in the first place. So a leader is asking someone to do a project, unless they're curious, both people are open and curious as to what the expectations are, what are my next steps, you know, what, what do you expect, what, what will the end product look like, what are you wanting, all of those things 
the leader may get back a product that they don't understand that doesn't work for them. And so there's a need for um, that clarity, that being open to better understand each other in all aspects of the workplace and at home in feedback with employees. It, it just comes into so many different areas. Right. Um, right. So the just, just plain communication is going to drastically speed up innovation and just a matter of getting things done in the workplace. I think it's communication that is open and not judging as in curious. So, I mean, you can, you can have that, you know, there, there's still that opportunity for 90% of the time being missed if you're closed and judging. I see. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. Going back to your, the, the kids world thing, that's kind of got me spinning a little bit on, on that concept that we, we don't understand what, world it seems to me that what you're saying is that it takes a whole lot of curiosity to even start to comprehend where how they how their world is yeah and it's it's so much more complex and unless parents really dig in and take the time to understand what's going on for them mm -hmm. it's going to be really hard to support them Sure. to know what's going on and and kids there are a lot more blind spots than there were i mean there were blind there have always been ways for kids to stumble i just think that the there's been a huge increase in the opportunity for stumbling because of social media because kids are um in some ways more independent but in lots of ways less independent because they're being driven from a to b you know all of the a lot of them, um, they're not having the same opportunity to be independent in things like walking to school or the ways that, I mean, I can remember taking the bus when I was nine to the library and got on the bus and got off at the other end and then came back. And so I was learning skills then, but now kids are dropped off. Okay. So it's a different, in, in most communities anyway. So they don't have the opportunities. And then there's always that phone where they can connect. So they don't have the opportunity to think things through the way their parents did. So that adds to the complexity of what they have to deal with. So these are the world. skills of being independent and... Yeah. And it, from, it, that's my perspective anyway. And I think unless parents can can better understand what's happening for their kids and what their experience of the world is, they're not going to be able to support them in the way that they want to. They can't make the assumption that I can keep you safe by doing things the way my parents did with me. Because mm -hmm. that doesn't work. You know, those assumptions have to be tested. Okay. So what, what are the things that parents can do to, to build those same skills in in other ways or that are not, that are lacking, that are not, uh, you mean build the skills in with their kids or build their own skills? Well, no, they're the kids. For example, well, you mentioned that, you know, they, they don't ride the bus on their own. They're, they're not, they're, they're completely, um, I, I, I don't know if coddled is the right word, but, but they're, they're not learning to do things independently um, because of this environment. Um, it, it, that, and, and it's just, is that and it's also um, the whole notion of, so, of social media, all the things that make society so much more complex today. And I think uh, parents begin with baby steps, asking open questions with their kids, okay. discussing things, uh -huh. not judging. You know, I have to emphasize that more and more because kids are great radars up about being judged and they're judged enough at school and everywhere else and they don't want to be judged by their parents. They want to feel that they're supported, that 
they're they've got some security there. Well, they it would seem that they would pretty quickly recognize that parents don't understand their their world, and if they're being judged and know that they're not understood, that that's going to shut them down pretty quickly. Exactly. So for parents then to we begin with easy things, just asking questions about um, open questions around. Um, well, I mean, they can start even with what's going on at school or what's going on in your day to day, and in having to, being there for their their kids, not having their kids fit into what they want, but really being there to, to understand their kids and to um, just be there so their kids can have share the space with them is it in instead of being told what to do all the time and maybe who they want to yeah. be yeah yeah person yeah. have you got anything to add to that no I, th I think what i was just gonna the only thing i would add is that i think parents today there's so much fear and uncertainty as parents today raising kids because it is so different and so i think that parents you know are we're all doing the best that we can with what we have and how we know how to do it. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, these are, again, these are skills that we're not taught. We, we have babies and then there's some magical unicorn that's blessing yeah. us with parenting skills, right? Right, right. Uh -huh. <laughs> so don't judge parents is what you're saying. Right? No, not at all. <laughs> we're all doing the best that we can. And, and yes. I think as a parent, what I've learned and then you know talking with parents and working with parents is that there there is so much fear because it is so different than how we were raised and there isn't a person on this planet that can say what the world is going to look like in 10 years or what our kids are going to need to succeed in 10 you know so I think from that perspective we're all just trying to figure out like how do we keep our kids and from to give them the most to have the most sex, successful life what we've recognized, I think, um, Kathy and I in the work that we've done is that if you can take it down to those bare basic, you know, conversation skills where you are present with your kids, where you're listening to understand them. Now, again, this doesn't mean you have to like what you hear. There are plenty of times that my kids tell me things that I do not like what I'm hearing. I do not <laughs> like how they're going to solve a problem. I totally don't agree with their approach, but it's giving them that space to say, okay, this is how you're going to do it. Now I better understand you. You got to try this on your own. And if it doesn't work, we'll circle back and we'll have a different conversation. And it's okay. just giving them autonomy over certain parts of their lives, but where parents can let that part go to say, okay, you know, I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to understand you. It doesn't mean that I'm going to like what I hear, but at least then you can have a conversation that you know, you'll understand what's going on for them. You can have a conversation around how to keep them safe. You can have a conversation around things that may be difficult for them. And then asking those open questions, who, what, where, when, and how, so that how do you want to deal with this? You know, what's your plan to move forward so that they can start putting some um, action steps in place. I think that those conversations, a lot of times as parents, when we go back to the original conversation, you know, earlier in our conversation, when we were saying they're reacting, I think as parents, when we hear things that make us scared, where we think our kids are not going to be safe, or we don't like the approach they take, we become reactive because that fear kicks in. And we're just like, that's not a good idea. I don't want you to do that. And you can't do that. And you can't, you know, you can't, you need whatever. And then the kids receive that as judgment. And then they feel blamed and they feel shamed and they shut down and then they stop wanting to talk to their parents about things because nobody wants to feel blamed or shamed. And I say that also with the context that no parent ever wants to 
blame and shame their kids, right? They're coming at it from a place of wanting to keep them safe and protect them. And it just doesn't land in that same way. So we're just learning to have that presence and just sit back with them and listen to understand them um, and ask yourself, you know, when I'm asking questions, whose needs am I meeting? Is it meeting my own needs to figure out what's going on in their life and pry? Or is it meeting their needs to better understand them? And, and now, you know, just having those different conversations that I think is, it's, it's hard for parents to have. Okay. So and, going, I'm sorry. So no, going. Say that you can, you can practice on safe things when kids are in a good space. Yeah, yeah. Just explore. It doesn't. You don't have to wait until there's a crisis to start asking them some questions. So, you know, if you're just hanging out together for some reason, you can start just exploring things with them in a non-judging way, and they'll become more and more comfortable and feel safe in that in in that kind of conversation. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Kirsten was talking about when you're you're there in the moment and you're not liking what they're saying okay and and you're you're about to get reactive right so what does that moment look like when you're just there trying to listen i mean what's going on in your body what's going on in your eyes what's going on in your breathing what, what's what's just i'm just I mean, that's the starting point right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so what's that what's that like chris kirsten so for me you know, I am, I am a total, I'm a recovering control freak, right? Okay. <laughs> so to have kids, especially when they're younger, it was easy for me to be in control and I liked being controlled. It made my life easier. As my kids got older, I have a tween and a teen and you can't control anything. And so for me, I think in those emotional moments, what I've learned is I can't control the chaos around me, but I can always control how I show up to the chaos. So that's just being in the moment and breathing and just always remembering it. My cue is to be curious because what that allows you to do is it asks the open question. So it reminds me to breathe. It reminds me to listen. So I put away my phone. I stop what I'm doing so I can give my kids my full attention. And then I just, I listen. And when I hear things I don't like, I can feel it in my body, right? I feel my heart starting to beat faster. I feel the hairs on my arm standing up on end and I, want to go into fix it mode and I want to tell them what to do and and I just I breathe and then I ask them a question to better understand and it's always okay so what did you mean by that or if I can't think of a question it's tell me more or um you know how do you want to deal with this mm -hmm. a lot of the times when Kathy was talking as well about the paraphrasing I remember this instance my daughter when she was younger and she had this instance at school and it was like my, these girls were not being nice and they wouldn't let me play this game and you know I didn't like it and then somebody pushed me to the ground and it was a friend of hers and so I immediately went in to fix it I was like they're your friends and I'm sure they didn't mean it and everything's okay you know and she's getting angrier with me and I now hindsight it's like yeah somebody pushed her to the ground and she wasn't happy and it wasn't a nice situation and now her mom is telling her that they're her friends and everything's gonna be fine when really it was a frustrating hurtful experience for her so when we listen now as a parent, I can paraphrase back and say, wow, it sounds like you had a hard day. Mm -hmm. Not nine times out of 10 will diffuse an entire situation. It's like, yeah, thank you. Somebody recognized I had a hard day, right? If, they, if there's more, then it's like, okay, so what do you want to do about it? So it's getting to that para listening to paraphrase, checking your stories in your head, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I raised a kid like this. Is this really happening right now, right? Because those are the stories we tell ourselves. 
to calm that little voice and say, okay, how do you want to move forward? What do you want to do? How can I support you? What do you need from me? And that will just let you have a different kind of conversation with your kids. Sometimes you need to be more supportive and you have to have a much closed, like a bigger container to hold them in where they need your help in ways where you have to tell them what to do. Sometimes you don't, you know, depending on the situation. We're not saying as parents, we can't have opinions and that we're just throwing our kids to the wolves to raise themselves. That's not what this is about. It's about allowing ourselves to see, hear, and fully understand our kids so that we can have those challenging conversations in a way that's more respectful. Because really we need conflict in our, in our lives, right? We need to understand the conflict that's going on for our kids that helps us grow, it helps them grow, but it, you have to work through it rather than bumping up against it. And I think we live in a society now where we avoid it or we yeah. wanna talk about it or we push it down yeah. or bulldoze over it right? You're fine. We don't really need to deal with this right now. Get your hockey stuff. Let's go, right? We just pretend like it doesn't exist. And it, 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 that's not a healthy way of dealing with difficult or challenging times. Sure, right. It sounds like you have a, an entire skill set built into one word and that one word in your mind triggers that skill set. Yes. And this has taken time for me. I mean, you know, when Kathy and I started doing this a long time ago, we had to put these skills to the test. We are a mother-daughter team. I love my mother more than anything in life. But if somebody had said we were going to be business partners, like it's not. And then we wrote a book together. And I think my mom would agree in the same way. You know, you it really changes your relationship. We really had to put these skills to the test and practice them every single day and have really hard conversations because... You know, you can live in a family and share family values, but we all define them differently. And I think that's important for parents as well. You know, mm -hmm. our, we all have similar values, but our definitions can be very different. So we come to the table thinking, oh, our families, you know, we're united and our family's so great. And then the moment that some little conflict comes up because our definition is different, it's hard to work through those conversations. So that's a long answer of saying, these skills work, present, being present, choosing how you listen and process information, asking open, curious questions. It keeps you calm in conflict. We've been doing this for a long time and it totally has changed our relationship, I would sure. say. Yeah, what, do you agree, Kathy? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah, just checking. <laughs> I yeah. think it's changed our whole family. Wouldn't you say well, that? Yes. It's changed our entire family. Yeah. Like 100% for the better. Well, I, I, neuroscience supports it in that when we are open collaborating with someone else, dopamine's released and then oxytocin. We feel good. So when we start this conflict, all the things that Kirsten was talking about, if when she asks that question of her kids, then that dopamine starts to be released, and she's feeling calmer. She's feeling better. Oh, it sounds crazy, yeah. but it it really does work. So oh, I know. I, that makes perfect sense. I mean, dopamine just controls so much in our mind there. Um, Kirsten, was the, what you were describing there about that moment when you're, you're listening and all that, that has a, in martial arts, we have a very similar concept we call, it's called mushim, and it means no mind. And so it means not having all the stories, not trying to, you know, in, in this, in, it, obviously, a, conflict but a fighting conflict situation you, you can't be having the story you can't be looking at what's my opponent going to do you just have to be in that 
no mind state, it's a very high level state. So what you're saying about this takes skill sets and this takes a lot of time. I mean, I, I've been doing martial arts for 25 years and I cannot say that I can enter, enter Mushim at will all of the time, <laughs> you know? So um, yeah, it, it, that's quite, quite an amazing thing. Do you have a smart child who is struggling in school? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel like the struggle is holding your child back from their true potential? Maybe the anxiety and worry over your child's future just beats you down every day. You don't have to live that way. Learn how to stop a learning disability from becoming a life disability. A child with a learning disability is stressful for the child and the parent. The disability may be eroding their confidence and shattering their self-esteem. Other people may perceive your child as unintelligent and antisocial. If not addressed and fixed early, the child may develop permanent challenges later in life when looking for a good job or meeting a potential spouse. Our current school system does not know how to properly help our children, but at Learning Success, we do. We've created a system you can easily do at home with your child, and with just 15 minutes per day after school with your child, you can save them from a life of struggle and heartbreak. Learn how to unleash your child's potential and embrace their true intelligence. As a special gift for being a loyal podcast listener, we're going to give you a free trial of the Learning Success System. Try it out absolutely free for 15 days. If it is not the perfect fit to help your child succeed in school and in life, just cancel before the trial ends and pay nothing. You even get to keep the free bonuses. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast to get your free trial now. You'll be so happy you did once you see the great grades your child is capable of getting. Imagine being so proud of your child when they bring home a great report card and hand it over with a beaming smile. Get your free trial now at www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast. You've got nothing to lose except the stress and anxiety that is holding you and your child down. I'll see you there. What is um, what is like one trick in the moment that you can a parent can do when they feel those emotions coming up? What how do they stop it? I think their kids. For me, the biggest thing that I always hear from parents that's the most effective it's literally taking a breath because I think that we're so overwhelmed. It's and we just don't take that time to breathe and it's just centering yourself and taking that breath and checking in with yourself before you say anything because. What happens is I think what parents forget is that, you know, in those emotional moments, we subconsciously repeat those habits and patterns that, you know, our parents did when we were raised because we do what we know. Sure. And so how we react directly influences how our kids are going to become, they're going to react and then how they're going to show up as leaders later in life. Mm-hmm. And that was my big aha moment when I would be working with grown, you know, really amazing, talented 
people and leaders, professionals, and then they would say, my buttons got pushed and I was in a meeting, you know, with all of my colleagues and I heard my mother's voice come out of my mouth. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting because we all do it, but we don't do anything about it, right? We just know that it happens. It's not effective, but we don't really do anything to change. And then we go home to our kids and we have these same reactions. And then we get mad when our kids react the same ways that we do, right? They just hold up that mirror and that pushes all their buttons. So if we can be calm in these moments, just, you know, taking that breath and reminding ourselves to ask a question and be curious, it, it's like any skill, it becomes easier and easier and easier. My kids now are now calmer in these moments because they have seen me do it. So they now adopt those skills. I mean, we had a really, my house was like really crazy for a long time. And so it was having to sort of, you know, I tell my kids, you need to listen to me. And I tell my kids, you need to calm down. And then my daughter, I talked about this in my TED talk at three, she was like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how to do it, right? So it's, we have to teach these skills to ourselves. And then we have to teach these skills to our kids. And the easiest way to teach them to our kids is by modeling them to them. But that means that as parents, we have to put that investment in up front where we say, okay, I got to learn how to be present. I need to learn how to actually listen, right? Actively listen. I need to learn to figure out what's going on in my head so I can process that information in a way where I'm understanding what people are saying and then practice those open questions. It's going to help you in regular conversations. It's going to help you a thousand percent in conflict. You're going to have better relationships. You're going to be happier. You're going to be healthier. You're going to be more grounded. It really is a life-changing process, but it takes time to learn them. Oh, sure. So if, if you're really developing, taking the time to really develop any skills in yourself, your kids are going to get a lot of it simply by osmosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they do what we do. Kids do what parents do, not what parents tell them to do, right? So they're going to, they're going to adopt those skills. I mean, it's, it, it sounds so simple and it is it's once we change when we change how we show up to the chaos the chaos changes because we can't control that chaos around us we only control how we show up to the chaos so you know my kids now have learned and we're not perfect i'm not saying that this is a perfect thing but it's like they've learned at a young age okay i can't control the chaos that's going around me but i can always choose how i show up to the chaos and that those are really important life lessons for kids to learn. And these are skills that we're not learning in school. So, you know, as parents, we really have to think about what kind of a leader do we want, do I want my kid to be? And depending on how we're reacting and we're modeling what it is like to have a conflictual conversation, those are the skills. They're gonna take that model of what it's like at home to have a challenging conversation and that's how they're gonna show up in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And if you have a typical interaction with your children that gets repeated all the time, as soon as you change yours, it can't happen anymore. Well, because, yeah, we subconsciously repeat those old habits and patterns until we consciously make a change. And it's that it's like breaking a habit. You have to consciously make that change. So every time you have to go into it, I'm sure it's exactly like in martial arts. You have to consciously make that change. Right. And you build those skills and then that becomes your habit. And I think yeah. My wish for my kids and for this generation is let's as parents show up differently so that becomes their habit. Yeah, in martial arts, we 100%, that's, that's, that's what it's all based upon. We have physical reactions um, that for some reason, we're not programmed with any good ones to start with in, the, in our physical reactions. <laughs> I don't know why we came that way. Um, 
but that's what we, we visualize. We use the power of visualization and walking through those, um, you know, what we're tr trying to accomplish until we do it enough and make it so, the mind can't tell the difference between visualization and reality a lot. So it programs it in just as if you were doing it, the same thing. So it sounds very similar. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're training, the subconscious is gonna get into control at some point, right? It's gonna take over and you gotta train it what to do beforehand. Is that what we're, what yeah. we're saying? Being more present, being more conscious of how we're showing up, I think, mm -hmm. as, as mothers, as fathers, as partners, as friends, as you know, siblings, or even as children with our parents. Okay. You just we go on autopilot. Go ahead, Mom. Yeah, yeah. And also get out of our own way. You know, so often we're so focused on ourselves and what we're saying and my point's right and what I'm doing is right and I've got to get it across and I'll say it 10 different ways because I know I'm right. Uh -huh. Well, we may be right for us, but we're not right for anybody else. So right. we need to be more focused on others. Right. Um, and just a, a quick note, you had mentioned the, the fight or flight and, and breathing as being an in, a, a way to get into it. And uh, so when we are in fight or flight, we typically breathe at it through our chest. And if we learn to breathe into the belly and actually into the back and the diaphragm, we can change which system we're, we're using. Mm -hmm. So the deep breath. Um, what emotional calming skills can um, a parent teach to, the, to their children before this happens? How do we, how do we uh, get them to? Uh, do you wanna go ahead? No, go for it. Okay, I think one of the, historically, I think parents have um, always said don't they've, they've negated or they haven't acknowledged the the, the emotions that every that their kids have um there's i think that we historically thought emotions were bad um that we need to stay calm that don't get upset don't let that bother you all of those negative things and there are only certain emotions that i i do work in emotional intelligence and one of the things is that a lot of people show up with sadness because it's an accepted emotion in our society. We can be sad and people go, oh, that's too bad. But if I come, become um, angry or fearful or anxious or um, shaming, I may not get that same sense of support from others. So a lot of us um, okay. go into to sadness just because it's okay. But we're not really ever taught to acknowledge, to understand, to appreciate that it's okay that I have emotions. That's, I should have those. You know, mm -hmm. each of our emotions protects us. If we don't have any fear, then we're going to get into situations where we can't protect ourselves. So we need these emotions and we need to be able to handle them when we're in situations. And, and when we, um, so when parents shut kids down or say, no, 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 you, you don't have an, you know, there's no emotion here, or just be fine, just ignore it, forget about it, whatever. Instead of that, really acknowledging and helping the child work through, what does this feel like? What does it feel like for you to be angry right now? You know, mm -hmm. what, what, um, what do you want to do about it? Um, how, how could you handle it differently? Or um, what, what's at risk here for you? You know, what could you do that you might not um, 
feel that you're in control over that you don't want to do. All these exploratory questions where a parent can help a child begin to really feel whatever the emotion is that they're, they're, they're experiencing and, and sort of feel it in their body and become aware of it. Because until we develop that self-awareness, we can't really begin to manage our emotions because we don't know what we're managing. So we need to, to develop that self-awareness and parents are in a great place to, from, with really even little kids to explore, you know? So you're feeling sad right now. What does that feel like? You know, sense of loss, someone's done something, you know, how, how, um, how does that make you feel? What, I don't want to eat anything. Okay. Or I just want to go to my room and cry. I just want whatever. So uh, exploring with them and acknowledging that it's okay to have those emotions, then that's going to help the child become aware of and be able to identify, okay, right now I'm feeling whatever it is they're feeling and they can begin to cope with it. And once they can, once they recognize what they're feeling and that's okay for them to feel it, then they're able to manage it. But so often kids feel it's wrong for them to to, to uh, feel anything. And so they block it out. It doesn't help them in the long run. So I think parents are in a great place to create opportunity to explore that with them and help them appreciate the gift of emotions. Okay, so a lot of interesting points there. So the, starting with that, so society is constantly telling us that some emotions are not acceptable then. And so if, if if that's or less, less acceptable than others. Yeah. Less acceptable mm -hmm. than others. I think so. Okay. Yeah. So if that's the case, then as parents, we need to really make work hard on um, on making sure that that's not too that's not built into our kids that they're not repressing those emotions because because yeah, emotions are useful. They're telling us something, right? Or yeah. they're or they're giving us strength when we need strength. Or I mean, they have they have purpose. Um, so how would a parent explain to a, a child that those emotions are okay? I guess, I guess you explain that by, by exploring them. It, that just, it's okay that you feel this way. Okay. Well, how do you feel? Just telling them. Just yeah. Telling them. And, and you can even then when, as a parent, I'm feeling really angry right now, and this is what it feels like to me. And this is why I'm feeling this way. So we can share it. And, and once, a child sees that it's okay to have emotion, and oh, my mom does too, or my dad does too. You know, dad and I just had a had a, had a discussion, and I'm feeling really um, sad about the fact he has to be away for the next two weeks. Um, and then you can explore that sadness, what it feels like. You know, it means that I'm going to be alone in the evenings. It means that I don't have someone to talk to after you go to bed. It means whatever it is, and and children begin we're just not giving them the opportunity to understand emotions, to explore them and to become aware of what their own experience of them is. Okay. So, and, and is that by doing so, by understanding them, by exploring them more, is that giving them the ability to manage their emotions more effectively? It in the, I, it, I think in most pretty well, all of the emotional intelligence um, frameworks, the fundamental is self-awareness uh -huh. and most of us have no awareness. Of, yes, I know. <laughs> of our emotions. And so until we begin to understand our emotions, once we understand them, and, and I'm in a conversation that something is triggered, and I think, oh, I'm feeling really angry. Yeah. Um, okay, I know I'm feeling angry. This is why, and this is what I need to do about it. Then I can start managing it. But if I don't know what I'm feeling, 
then it, I'm not aware, if I'm not aware of it and I don't know that it's okay to feel that way, then I may say things that I later regret. I may retreat because I don't know what to say or how to explain it. I may, I'm not, I'm not showing up in a way that's going to um, continue to build relationship. Yeah, yeah, this is very familiar too. We, I have a, so I, I've had a number of, of young men with Asperger's that I've worked with in, in the martial arts. And I think one of the, you know, the path to self-awareness, um, mental self-awareness, emotional self-awareness actually comes through proprioception and enteroception, just getting aware of our body. And so in, in that example, he would always tell me, he was very violent and very, which seems like a bad thing to do to teach, teach martial arts to a violent Asperger's, but it's not. He became yeah. just a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, but he was, his emotions were so out of control. Um, I had his school teachers who also trained with me come to me and they said, how are you managing him? He, that kid would pick up chairs in the classroom and throw them at the teacher and was just terribly, and um, as he developed in learning about his body, then you know he would say things. Well, I don't have emotions. I have Asperger's. And well, and, and we would do do just that. Dive into how does this feel, and did those exact those exact exercises that you're talking about. Um, and I'm happy to say I attended his graduation at UC Berkeley two months ago. Oh wow! Yeah, awesome. from he was a kid that they were trying to put into a home to have. Um, to have a caretaker and take care of him and, and, and all this. And uh, he's well, he's, I'm sure he'll be a university professor one day and has a wonderful girl, girlfriend and, and all of these things. So um, I do know that what you're talking about works. I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. And it just speaks once again to parents being curious with their kids to be open, not judging them for having the emotions. I would never get angry in that or it's not, it's not right for a girl to get angry or it's not right for, you know, whatever. Instead, just understand and, and validate for them that it's okay to have these emotions. It's okay to feel this way and uh -huh. help them understand it. So they can embrace it and say, I mean, it must be awful for kids. They, they're erupting and they don't know why or what's starting it or yeah. what to do about it. And then their parents just say, calm down. Or their teacher says, calm down. Well, they don't know how to calm down. Yeah, I know a, a, lot of, a lot of kids that have uh, that come from, you know, ba a bad family atmosphere and all that, that some emotions are just so repressed that they, they're, they're not existent in them, mm -hmm. um, which leads to trouble a lot of trouble so they, they do need to come out and come to the surface um, I just also wanted to add to, to that I think that as parents we have to remember that in order to handle our kids emotions we have to first learn to learn to handle our own and I think there are a lot of parents who are not comfortable with their own emotions which is what makes it so hard for them to deal with their kids emotions there was a study, a research study that came out that showed that when parents don't know how to manage their emotions, their kids never learn to do so either. And so it's that same, it's really easy to say, you know, to have your kid exploding, or it sounds very easy to be able to, some, your kid exploding to, to dig deeper into the emotion, what it feels like. But if you're a parent that is not comfortable with their emotions, who was never allowed to have an emotion as a kid, you know, you have to start with you first, right? You also have to to do that same work to figure out, okay, what am I feeling? What's going on for me in this moment? Because it's going to be hard for us to support our kids if we aren't doing that same investment and having that same self-awareness in ourselves.
Yeah, that sounds like one of those studies that was so obvious it wasn't necessary, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm joking about that. It probably was, but having seen what I've seen, I'm like, that's kind of one of those duh moments, <laughs> right? I know, I know, I know. We say to our kids, do as I say, not as I do. Yes. And I think what we've learned through the work that we've done is the best thing you can do for your kids is to be the person you want them to be because yeah. you are going to make a far greater impression on them and every in their life right by being that person than anything that you teach or tell them to do so it's I, that consistency yeah i was i was totally joking because i do know that it, it is necessary i do know that people what you just said is is not obvious Okay, it takes some time before that does come out, but it should be obvious, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, what happened to curiosity? That I mean, when we're born, that that's what we are, right? I, we don't know anything in the world. We don't know, know what we are. We have curiosity. It seems to me that it, when we're born, curiosity is our main skill. What happens? Yeah. <laughs> Where did it go? I we talked about this all the time and I would be so fun to do some research around that. I don't, you know, I think what I've learned just talking, watching, observing, listening, and just, you know, basically from the work we've done in the last 10 years, I think that a lot of it, it's sort of beaten out of us, right? You yeah. were yeah. super curious as kids and it's really cute as kids. And then you start asking a lot of questions and then it becomes annoying. And then you're in a classroom and you know there's no time for questions and those that are asking questions are often called they, they're said oh you're not listening or you're not paying attention because you're not staying on track or if you want to go and explore a different way you're not doing it the way it's supposed to be done and then we isolate in testing and we are not allowed to share answers or collaborate or work together and then we get shot out into the work world and then we say okay now solve problems and collaborate and work as teams and it's like how? <laughs> everything up until this point, you know, it's, we're not really serving those skills to get to where we need to go. So I think it's, again, as parents, when you're, I, and I had, I spoke last week at a school and I had a mom say like, my daughter won't stop talking and all she wants to do is talk and it's frustrating and I don't want to listen and I've got so many things that I need to do. And I also know that if I shut her down, she's going to stop talking. And so it's like, okay, well, then there's your opportunity to learn about your daughter. What is it that she, you know, what are the reasons that she's coming to you and, and whose needs are you meeting in that moment when you want to shut things down? And, you know, I think there's an opportunity for us as parents to just listen to our kids and help them explore those places of curiosity they have, because if they're not passionate and curious in life, you know, that's, that's what leads us to what we want to do. There's entire TED Talks on find, don't find your passion, just be curious, right? I mean, everything STEM, that's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we evolve. It's how we collaborate. It's how we innovate. Curiosity is at the root of a lot of things. Um, and yet it's become, I don't know, it's like a pain in the butt when people are curious. Yeah, <laughs> right? right, considered cozy, right. or they're considered time-consuming, or they're considered too much work. And I think we have to reframe what that looks like and allow our kids the space to explore, because we're right. not giving them that space to explore anymore. Yeah. So it's not even a. I, I would hardly even call it a developed skill. It's something that's so innate, but but is simply repressed. And so. Well, and 
Kathy can speak to this in the work world, you know, a lot of people are afraid to ask questions. They're afraid to be curious, right? Because they're afraid that they're going to get reprimanded. They're afraid they're not going to have the right answer. They're afraid to dig deeper and make suggestions because it may not be what people want. And so there's huge repercussions of not having that curiosity when you come out and, and trying to get a job because organizations want curious people, especially yeah. now, need curious people. I cannot remember where I just, I just listened to something on that exact fact. Can't remember where I heard it, but it, they were talking about interns coming out of college and going into or intern for a, a company and being afraid to ask questions. And then, but for the purpose of not seeming as if they didn't know enough or, or whatever, but what they were truly doing was not building the relationships that they needed to, and then they, they didn't get the job they expected. Yeah. So yeah, that, I, I, I just heard that in, I don't know where, a week ago, <laughs> somewhere, I can't remember who it was. Um, so, uh, and Kathy, you mentioned dopamine a few times. So if we're dopamine, one of the things that causes, that does cause dopamine is when we have that, that aha moment, when we learn something, mm -hmm. right? And so therefore, if curiosity would be, would lead up to that, we have to be curious about something to learn something, right? Then it would seem to me that once a person gets back on the track of curiosity, that it might be kind of a self-building skill. Would that, that it? Based on our experience and the, the feedback we've had from others, absolutely. Okay. In fact, um, someone who worked with us early on said, once you cross that line and you become curious, you can never go back. Because okay. she said it just feels wrong. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good anymore judging others or telling them what to do and, and creating that space where we can really focus on others instead of ourselves just makes, makes us feel so much better that we want to do it. Mm -hmm. When we're curious about people. Yeah. Yeah. And it leads to empathy and compassion. It just um, it helps to deepen relationships. It just, it's a, it, it changes how we show up in our world. Mm -hmm. So being non-judging, I mean, because judgmental is one of the, that's one of the things that'll shut it down. Um, yes. That seems like quite a mental discipline. How would one develop that? <laughs> am, I, am I true in saying it's a, it's a discipline? that I say it's a discipline uh -huh. I just for me it's it's just what what the words that I focus on okay. and my self-talk um it's around wanting to learn more as opposed to going stop I've heard enough this is just you know you should be doing or I should be I'd never I'd never do that or it's we, we get to, instead of getting to that place where I'm trying to compare myself with them or tell them what to do, I just stay open to hear what they have to say. Right, so right. I, I think it's, for me, it's around focusing, focusing on the words differently. Yeah, I can see that. I guess where I was coming at it from is that they're, they're, the judgment are arising thoughts um, in like the meditation practices. That is a discipline of learning how to not necessarily control those thoughts but to let them pass and not let yes. them ha have an effect on you um, which is I think that that's what I mean by a discipline because you're training your mind to be able to do that and not go into your reptilian brain 
Yes. Okay. And, and it's, it's something, it is something that we can do. And it, it um, once, as I said before, once we get there, so, and I'm not going to say how long it took, and I still at times judge, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it's just that most of the time I really work on setting intention around not being, not judging others. And uh -huh. it's also focusing on them instead of me. You know, instead of me saying in my head, oh, she shouldn't do that, or, oh, if I were her, I wouldn't be. And instead of getting in my own place, really focusing on her or him, you know, on the other person. Mm -hmm. So but, for me, but, it's getting out of my own way. Yeah, well, okay, so you're just at what I was, but that means not not Listen. focusing on yourself, not focusing yeah, on, the, on yeah, those yeah. thoughts. That's what you mean by not, by getting out of your own way. Of, so there is a, and I'm sure there is a discipline there. Yeah, um, it sounds exactly like meditation. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it very much parallels the, some Eastern philosophies. So. But it's a conscious practice. It goes back to what we were talking about. It's a conscious practice. You have to be aware of how you're showing up. It's about being present again. I think when we have this conversation shooting from the hip or gossiping with a girlfriend or whatever, we're not, it's, it's we're showing up differently. So it's having that conscious awareness of, you know, paying, not focusing on self and focusing on others. It, it's easier to shift into that non-focus place. Okay, good. Um, what about like nonverbals and, and stuff? Are are you trying to be very um, aware of what you're projecting as far as nonverbals and to be present? I try and stay still as much as possible. Okay. You're good at that. <laughs> that actually, I, I don't know, I could see that as seeming as judgmental. Oh, I, I don't. Oh, that's interesting. No, I, I'm staying still because I really want to focus on them. And that's okay. how I can do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that I probably do the same thing. And, and um, I've had people say, like, why are you mad? I'm like, I'm not. I'm listening. <laughs> right? I'm trying to figure out what you're saying. And so um, do you think that's a problem that, I mean, I, that maybe you want to retrain what your face looks like when you're doing it or? I, I've never had that feedback. Hmm. I don't know. What about you, Kirsten? I was going to say those, but that plays to the stories in our heads. Again, that's the story that whoever is talking to you, that's the story they have in their head because they're okay. focused on themselves rather than focused on understanding you. So I think that's, it's, it's important to remember that where when we're in a conversation, body language for sure makes a difference. I moved from LA. I, you know, would go and walk into a room and people would make eye contact with me, that cliche, right? Looking over the shoulder, constantly seeing who else is walking in the door. And I could tell that they weren't listening. So body language is important where you need to make eye contact and give your, you know, the speaker your full attention. But I know, especially for women, like resting bitch face, it's a real thing. When women are listening, a lot of the times they think that they're just, they're mad or they're angry or whatever it may be. And, and so we have worked with a lot of women where they will say, I'm not mad or I'm not angry. I'm just listening, right? This mm -hmm. is just my face. So they, they, so I think that's a very common thing. And I remember thinking, wow, I've never thought that. That's so interesting. You know, that's not what I'm thinking. So that's the little voice in other people's heads. You being that, um, on the other end have never thought yes, that. Yes, never thought okay. that. Um, okay. So it's being aware of that voice in our head and the judgment or whatever it's saying to us 
because it's conflicting with our ability to listen. So every time I'm looking at you and I think you're angry at me, I'm creating a bigger story in my head that's like how I respond to you. You know, I'm thinking, why is he mad at me? What have I done? You know, then I'm not actually listening to what you're saying. I'm not understanding what you're saying. And I'm uh, running off on my own story. And then afterwards, I'll leave with not a full understanding of what happened. And you and I could get into a fight over it. Whereas oh, yeah, yeah. I just focused on you. And if it was something that came up for me that I was concerned about, then it's like, okay, you know, um, you can ask that question. I, it, but it's, it's putting it in the I statements like, oh, I felt like your facial expression was mad. And then you'd say, what? Oh, I was just listening, right? But when we say, you look mad, then that feels like judgment. And oh, I, think, I see. Right? So there's a difference yeah, yeah. where you're talking about your experience of a situation versus saying to somebody, you're, you look mad or, you know, what have I done wrong? What do you think I've done wrong? And that's where you get in. That's those stories that play into our heads. So it's just reminding ourselves to turn that little inner voice down, not listen to those stories, to so just give our full attention to the speaker. And if we have a concern, we just ask. Mm -hmm. um, but I think most of the time people are listening. It's hard for people to listen. So we have to really focus. The, the phrase resting bitch face, is that a new phrase? I just heard that for the last first time like a week ago and now I've heard it all over the place. <laughs> is we that a- We it all the time, right? So like, it's been a thing for a long time? Yeah. And okay. I think- Okay, totally it, new to me. <laughs> I hear it as listening. When I hear it, it's, you know, I'm not, like it's not my resting bitch face. I'm listening. And so yeah. I use it in a lot of different contexts, but I, you know, again, it's we, that's that judging voice that rears mm. ugly head. Right. Um, okay. okay. So, but we're talking about, so we're speaking to somebody that has say none of these skills and they, they have the, the stories in their head and all of that. Should we develop skills to try and communicate, you know, non-verbally that we are not angry or something like that. If we, if we know we may have a, a resting bitch face, which I apparently do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's always important to be aware of your body language. That's part of active listening. It's important to okay. understand, you know, are you making eye contact? How are you holding yourself? Um, and, and even, especially in emotional situations, because when we're emotional, you know, if I would sit here and, and you say, how am I? And I cross my arms and I, my tone is off and I say, I'm fine. Everything's fine. In your mind, you're thinking I'm not fine. You're hearing my words and tone of voice or you're hearing my body language, sorry, my tone of voice, not my words. It's telling you I'm fine. Mm -hmm. In emotional situations, it's important to be congruent. Um, and there sure. was something, I can't remember the study. I'm, I know mom is really good with these stats and you can talk about it, but it's just really important that we are aware of our body language because if we're holding ourselves in a way that's not inviting, that looks mean and judgmental, people are gonna take it that way. But if we're open and we wanna understand, what I've learned from my own experience is that when I'm open and I wanna learn and understand, my body language softens. I'm kinder with myself and I'm kinder with other people because I'm coming at it from a place of like, I really wanna understand you. I wanna know what's going on rather than me standing there and saying, like, what are you gonna tell me now? You know, it's, so it's, that right, voice right. Head dictates how we show up and reminding ourselves to just turn that down so that we can open and relax and listen and learn. Right, well, and vice versa. The body language will communicate to the brain and, and, and that's gonna help with which voices 
do come up, which stories do do come up. So, um, and and you mentioned the congruency. I think the congruency between the body language, between what you're saying and all that. And I think that like Amy Cuddy mentions in her book, that is one of the prime things that leads to what flow or presence, same thing, right? Um, so interesting. Kathy, do you have anything to say about that? This is a really interesting subject to me right here. Well, there, excuse me, the study Kirsten was referring to is a very old one. It's from the 60s, uh -huh. but we haven't, it's, refer, it's still, it's used a lot by people. And the thing that's so interesting about it is that when you look at um, tone of voice, body language, and words, only 7% in conflict, only 7% of the communication is through the actual words. Oh, yeah. So if you're, if you're, um, talking to me and I'm sensing emotion through your body language and your tone of voice. Whoa. You know, this is th the words aren't even getting in then. No, no. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just that the emotion, that contagion, we become emotionally connected with all the, you know, what we see as hostility. We don't, we can't hear the words. We're protecting ourselves. We're just, this is right. So it shuts us, it shuts down the situation when in fact, maybe that's not what's going on. So if we, when there's not congruency, then we get confused about the mixed messages and we yeah. don't hear the words. Right. And so, so not only our, our macro body language, but we also have micro expressions, which are picked up through the limbic system when we can't control. Yeah. Um, and so it would seem to me that you really need to to get yourself into the right mental state because whatever that state is in there is going to be projected. And, and that's why when, if we can get to a place of asking open questions, which is right, and, it all comes back. Yeah, it just comes back and, and yeah. then the dopamine starts flowing and we feel better. Right. right. Not gonna, there's going to be a congruency of the, the tone of voice and the conversation and, and, and the body language. And, and we're going to be, better understood and we're going to understand others better too. What the, the, the research that I would love to see done and I, I'm not aware of it, it may have been done, was around that, that um, I believe what happens is we ask an open question, dopamine starts, we ask another one or two and oxytocin as well. Judith Glazer's work spoke, speaks of um, the, the mind-heart opening connection with when we continue to be curious and ask questions. And I think in conflict, what happens is I'm feeling better because I'm asking questions and there's a contagion to the other person. Sure, they, sure, okay. You know, it changes for them also. Even if they're just answering the questions and not asking any, I think the contagion factor makes them feel better too. Right, if we can hold a state and not yeah. be, going back to being non-reactive, yeah. then it, of course it's gonna be contagious, yeah. Wow, okay. Um, this has been a, a very interesting subject, but I, I'm out of questions. Have I missed anything? I, I, could, I could keep going here because I'm, so, I'm so curious about this, but, uh, um, but is there anything else that we should be telling parents here? To me, the message is get out of your own way and really show up for your kids. 
to, to better understand them, to really see, hear, and understand them. And that's if they're, you know, a, a very small child or all the way up to being independent because um, un, until we get out of our own way, our kids, kids are smart. Can they we, know when we're not there for them. Right. Can we define again? I know we kind of did getting out of your own way. Um, focusing on the other person instead of on ourselves. So focusing on our kids and really wanting to understand them instead of thinking, well, I'm right. And in my day, it was, you know, none of that. Just okay. leave Good. our minds a blank canvas and we're there to hear them, not to, to tell them what to do, not to um, judge them, but just to really try and understand what's going on for them. The physical role playing you did just, that helped a lot. The physical role playing that you just did. <laughs> yeah. Was awesome. That was it. That was that was awesome. Okay. Yeah. That 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 speak. I mean, the the body's more uh, expressive than the the words, huh? And it okay. works at any age. I just you know I had a mom come up to me and say, "Oh, my kids went to university, so I because I spoke at a high school, and so you know my kids have come and gone, and I don't need to worry about this anymore." I was thirty when I started doing this, you know, and it's, it's so I, it, it doesn't, there's no age. I think that in any relationship that you have, it doesn't matter if you're a grown person with your parents or you're a parent with grown children, it, it really is irrelevant. These skills work at every single age. And, and it's so important if you want to have healthy relationships, you know, that mm -hmm. this being curious is how we connect. And it is such a simple process, being present, choosing how you listen, so you're open to listening, to understand, and asking those curious who, what, when, and how questions to dig deeper and get on the same page. It's a three-part series, right? And yeah. the, they're all skills that we can do. We can all do them now. It's just showing up differently and reminding ourselves in these moments, how, what am I curious about? Right. So before, actually, one more big question here is, is that, um, so with us, we're dealing, helping parents deal with kids who have specific learning disabilities, dyslexia, ADHD. So these kids are already, they've lost, we, we looked into our own data. And so we had questionnaires asking about certain things. And, and a lot of the things, when, when we specifically asked parents, like, is your child losing self-confidence? Are they losing self-esteem? The numbers were, were, were high, but, but the, the indicators of losing self-confidence and self-esteem were way higher. So parents were telling us these things are, are going on, but they weren't realizing how bad of an emotional state that their children were in. And so when it gets to doing things like anything around schoolwork, or, um, you know, like say homework time can be huge tantrums and huge, huge battles. How are these skills, can you go into those skills being applied in that specific situation? Like let's say the child is throwing a tan tantrum because they, they don't want to look stupid because they're, they, they think they're going to look stupid for not being able to do their homework well. I mean, I, I can fully relate and understand this um, exactly what you're saying from a parent's perspective and i think that as parents it's we have to remember to give our kids some autonomy and it's figuring out what 
our kids can have control over and can't can have control over. So for me as a parent, I had to really learn to understand how my kids learn. I've got two kids who learn very differently. And I, you know, for one of them, she just, she needs, she, her brain works differently. She processes information differently. So she needs help in a very different way. I had to get out of my own way. I had to stop listening to the stories in my head or whatever it was that I wanted for her and just really focus mm -hmm. on her and what she needed and had to get curious with her and ask those questions. What does it feel like? What do you need? What is your class experience like? I had to really understand what it was like for her to function in her day all day so that I could support her in a way that was effective. Because a lot of the times our kids don't have words to express what it is that they're going through or they're telling us very, very clearly, but we're interpreting it very differently than what they're saying. So it's, I would offer to parents, for me, what's been life changing with my kids is to, again, it's going back to that, being curious with your kids, to listen, to understand them. To, when you're asking those questions, you're really trying to focus on what it's like for them and not what you think they need. It's understanding what it is that they need. And then when it comes to the homework situation, it'll be easier for you to support them because, you know, what are the reasons they can't get their homework done? Is it they don't understand the content? Is it that the homework has been given to them in a way that they can't process? You know, is it that, I mean, there's so many different reasons that it can what, be. Whatever happening. it is, you're whatever able to, you're able to drill down to it when you do this. So they, okay. then you can talk to the teacher and say, this is why it's not working. Right? It's not because your kid can't do it or your kid isn't smart enough or whatever it is. It's, it's not being delivered in a way that is useful for them. So it's mm -hmm. figuring out what's that way. But those are the conversations of starting with your, one, get out of your own way as a parent. Two, focus on your kid to understand their needs. Three, understand it's like, what do you need to make this successful for you moving forward? And then you can take that information and work with your teacher so that you can get on the same page. Right. Because I... I think that, you know, I spoke to a mom who has a daughter who has Down syndrome and she had troubles with her teacher. And so it was really a question of what does your daughter need to have a successful day? What is she telling you that she needs? Well, I've never asked. I don't know. I just assumed that I knew. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm laughing, but that's, that's sad. <laughs> that's really. I think as parents, I... we want to help them and we want to do the best for them. But sometimes just those one little question, it's like, what do you need? How could this be better? And again, that's the autonomy and control over their life. But we as parents have to get out of our way thinking that we know everything and what's best for them. And we might not like what our kids have to say. You know, we might not like what the answer is, but if that's what they need, then it's figuring out how you can best support them to get what they need. Otherwise, it's always going to be a battle. And at that point, when that's going on, I just want, want to stress that those stories are probably very loud at that time. I mean, you're a mother, you're going, this is my child's future. Those, they're screaming, right? Yeah. yeah. So. We can pretend that it's not there. We can keep saying, oh, you need this and you need that and you need that. But until you actually get to the heart of the problem, you're never going to resolve the issue. And I think that Unfortunately, a lot of our school systems, they cater to a specific type of learner and a student oh, sure. in the box. And if your kid doesn't fit in the box, then, you know, they don't want to help you. But when you're a parent that can go and say, 
I know exactly what my child needs and these are the reasons why and how can we get to this end goal because we all want them to be successful. It's a very different conversation. You, you want to partner with your teacher. You don't want to fight with your teacher, right? You want to partner with your child. You don't want to fight with your child. The only way you can create that partnership is by fully understanding them. And I think as parents, just as Kathy was saying, that first step, we got to get out of our own way and not focus on what's best for us or what we think our child needs. We need to fully understand what's going on for them so we can best support them. We, we always stress that the parent is the expert, but now thinking about this, we might be wrong. The parent is not the expert until they do this. Well, I know, I mean, I know for my daughter, I, for many, many years, and she struggled with a lot of different things and all of the things that she told me she struggled, I thought I knew what was best for her. And mm -hmm. so I finally asked the question and it was like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. I don't know what your experience is like. No, right. no idea what her experience is like at school. I can pretend to know and I can think I know what's best for her. But until I asked that question and really understood what it, what it was like for her to go through the day and what it was like for her to learn and what, you know, she needed, we couldn't put any measures in place to help support her. Wow. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So getting out of your way, big time first. Uh, Kathy, do you want to say anything about that before we... No, I, I, just that I agree, and I think Kirsten, and I can't remember it now, but um, there is, there was a, was on Instagram, it was somewhere, it wasn't a research, it was a story of a little, of a girl whose father had taken her to the hospital, and she was, I think autistic, she wasn't able to speak, anyway, her father was speaking for her, and then he Something happened to him and he wasn't able to be there. So she became frantic and was screaming because she could sure. couldn't communicate. Sure. And so when they began to understand what she she was able to communicate what she needed, if I'm correct person, and they got to the point of of asking, what do you need? Instead of just saying you need this or don't behave that way, what do you need? So you're so how can we support you to make sure your needs are met? You know, what do you need now? What would you like to have happen? And it changed the conversation where they now in that particular hospital with all kids, that's how the conversation goes. Wow. Wow, precedent setter, huh? They asked what, what matters to you. And that's so, it, yes. What I matters think, to you. I think as parents, we always, you know, we think we're being curious, like what's the matter, what's the matter, what's the matter? But that triggers fixing and solving and telling and whatever, you know, what's the matter? Okay, I can fix this. We're going to get to the heart of, you know, we're going to make it better. Rather than taking that step back, you ask what matters to you? And that's going to have a very different answer. You're going to have a very different snapshot into your child's life of what matters to them and what's important to them. And that was what happened in this hospital as they took a piece of paper and said, what matters to you? Um, and it was in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was a story about that it was a woman who basically was saying her brother was at the end of he had a long-term illness and she said that you know everybody kept saying what's the matter what's the matter but the question they really needed to ask was what matters to you and that healthcare needs to switch away from what matters to what matters to you and i think in the education system it's exactly the same thing yeah looking at what matters to these kids because if we want them to learn they need to be curious they, they can't operate from a place of fear they need to be in a place of you know, open 
to learn in that curious state and how do we get them there? Okay, let's figure out what the steps are that they need to get to that place. Because if they're turning up to school every day thinking that they can't do it and they're operating from that place of fear, their brain is literally not in a brain state to learn, right? No, they're not, not in a brain state to connect and make, have friends and relationships. It's just they're going to be stressed out the entire time. Sure, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah. The more... And they know what they need and what matters to them much more than anybody else does. Yeah. And so giving them that opportunity to, to, to have a voice in it really shifts what happens and how they show up. Right, right. So uh, this um, is obviously a pretty big, especially for our listeners who are parents of children who are struggling, um, that this could really make a change. Um, what would a parent, uh, uh, parents would want more of this, what would they do? You've got your book, your website. We offer a parenting program. We have an online parenting program okay. um, and it's a 30 day program. It's on our website. They can access it. Mm -hmm. and it's, it we go through all of these exact skills. So on instituteofcuriosity.com. Yep, if they go to the parenting page, they'll see the online program and um, you can read the reviews from the parents. It's, parents have loved it. It's been life-changing and we've had parents that have kids with mental health that have taken it and they found it life-changing. I think what the difference with us in the work that we do is it really focuses on changing how we show up as parents. So we're not here to change your kids. We're not here to change your spouses. What we're offering is specific skills that will change how you show up. And when you change how you show up as a parent, then everything else changes. Mm -hmm. Yes, the same message has been re told by quite a number of people. And it, it's, 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 it really is how you change the world. Change yourself. Yes. It, this is uh, everything that's going on. We see all these arguing and, you know, we go on social media and everyone's trying to change the world. But it's simple. It's right here. Got to start with you, right? Be the change yeah. you want to see. Exactly. He was on to something. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, he was. I think he had some. In, he was a smart man. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Um, this has been really enlightening for me. I'm sure that people will really learn a lot from this. And and um, thank you very much. Thanks, Phil, for having us. Thanks for having us. And Phil, I would just like to throw out there if ever if there's any way that we can support any of your parents i i know how hard i know how hard this is um like however we can make that happen if there's a way to collaborate or reach out whatever sure i'm throwing that out there because i know that um it would I, and i'm saying that only because this mom of her daughter who has down syndrome was like how do i get you into our community i never thought about this because it yeah. is so all about parents it's just changing how parents the lens and how parents show up for their kids and i think yes. parents especially when their kids have learning disabilities are so focused on changing their kids that they don't think about how they're showing up 100 percent. yeah and phil you told a wonderful story about someone who was able to be himself with asperger's and now he's graduated from university yeah yeah it's, um yeah i've seen this uh, i mean a lot of this I, I've not defined it in the way you, you two have and all that, but I've seen these things in action. And um, so, yeah, 
I know. <laughs> and, and yeah, I do look forward to any way we can collaborate in the future. And I'll also throw out there, if you want for your community to have discount code to the online parenting program, we can also arrange that. So if that's something that sounds good for your listeners, let us know. And that's not a problem. We can give a percentage off as a bonus for your listeners if they're interested in taking the program. Uh, let's absolutely do that. Do you want to set up the code later and we'll put it in the link or how do you want to do that? Yeah, I can. It'll just take me, you know, I can send it. Can I send it to you tomorrow? Does it go out right away? Uh, yeah, send it to me tomorrow and I'll just... Um, just because it's 7.30 and I got to get my kids fed into bed or I can do it later tonight. Um, uh, there's no hurry. I just want to, I'll just, how do we, I'll put it in a link below the yeah. video or something like that. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. Cool. Then it will be in the link below this. Okay. Awesome. All right. We'll do that. I will send okay. you the code or the link for the code. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Great. Great. And we're, okay. if they're within the community, we have, we, we're happy to have phone calls to work with people in any way we can and and they can get all that information on instituteofcuriosity.com yeah. correct yeah. yes yeah. very good very good okay awesome awesome okay. thank you thank you all right bye bye, bye. thank you